0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Journey Church. We're glad you're here today. Uh, it's an awesome day. Can you believe this kind of weather in January? I'm, I'm loving it and looking for spring. That's what I'm all about. Uh, guys, uh, whenever you uh, exit this morning, you can grab one of our loops. This is kind of a, a way for you to stay in the loop, what's going on and some activities and things that are happening. So uh, we encourage you to keep that in mind. Grab one on your way out. You can also get online if you don't receive it on a regular basis, you can get on our website and uh, sign up for that. It should come to your, to your email. Well, it's good to have uh, each of you here today, and uh, if you're a guest today, my name is Randy, a minister here, and it's exciting to be in this series and to be full bore into the new year. It's hard to believe it's 2017, uh, still seems strange to write that, uh, but uh, here we are in a, in a brand new year. And we're in a series, as Matt mentioned, called Resolutions, as we're trying to, you know, the beginning of the year is a great time to think about what this past year was like and what you want this year to be going forward. And, and also, to think about, <laughs> also to think about some changes we want to make in our life. And uh, so every time about this time of year, we like to clarify what our church is about. We think that's pretty important uh, that we are able to just kind of state this is who we are, And we try to keep that fresh and uh, to present it in a different way. But uh, as Matt Matt mentioned, our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. Uh, We believe in that so much that we changed our name uh, to match that. So uh, we're still finding people that don't know who we are uh, with our old name as well. Uh, But uh, we believe that's where God called us to go, and that's our mission. Uh, Our vision that Matt mentioned also was that we want to bring glory to God by loving Jesus, loving people, and making disciples who make disciples. Those are the things that we believe that we're called to do. And last week, if you recall, Tony, um, Tony spoke about bringing glory to God. You know, we have a document that, that we don't uh, talk about a lot, but it's kind of the end result of what we want our church to do. And the thing at the top of the page, the very top of the pra- page, is to bring glory to God. That's what we want to be all about. And we can do that, uh, as we're talking about in this series, by resolving ourselves to be faithful to Him do some very specific things. And if, if you were here last week, you, uh, you saw the chairs. You know, people were joking, saying every time we see the chairs, we think Tony's preaching. So we decided to mess with you today. Uh, Tony is not preaching today. I'm preaching, but we're going to talk about the chairs. we got them up here anyway. Uh, but these chairs, like Tony shared with us several times, are a great way for us to visually see the moving process that people do in their relationship with God, this journey that we're on. And uh, as he talked about last week, everybody begins in chair one. Uh, which is uh, the unbeliever, the person who has, uh, you know, not figured out who Jesus is yet and not made Him Lord of their life. And if you notice, there's a little bit of space between the two because this is a big space. This is a step that people take in moving from uh, disbelief or unbelief into believing in Jesus Christ. And it's very, so it's a big step. It's moving from death to life in Jesus. And so it's a pretty important chair right here. This one we're going to talk about today uh, which is the tear of, of, of a believer that we'll call loving Jesus, and that's where it kind of begins, and that's where we want to talk about and put our focus at today. You know, I, as I was thinking about loving Jesus, I thought, man, that's that is a broad topic to talk about. You know, it's like it's like the most broad statement in the world. How do you love Jesus? How do you define something? that that's, that's large and that incredible, and of course Christians love Jesus. I mean, our name, we're named after Him, we're named after Christ, so of course we love Jesus. Nobody's going to say, I don't know if I love Jesus or not, you know? Uh, none of us here anyway, but, but when it comes to showing that love, then it becomes more difficult to, to demonstrate. How do we show Jesus that we love Him? What does it mean to love Jesus Christ? How do we get our arms around that idea? And the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that we are not the originator of love between us and Jesus. It's not like one day we just say, oh, I think I'm going to love Jesus. Instead, our love is always a response to what Jesus has done for us. In 1 John 4, it says we love because He first loved us. And we all know the most well-known verse in the Bible, right? John 3, 16, that said, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So our love for Jesus is a natural response to his initial love for us. And you know, I was thinking how much easier it is for us to respond in love when we have been loved first, right? You remember that back, uh, for some of us, it's a long time ago, but remember when you were dating and you, this boy or girl, and you uh, had feelings for them, but it was a huge risk to make the I love you statement, you know, and because you don't know what they're thinking if they're nearly as far along. And so, so you, one of you finally gets up the nerve to say, uh, I love you. Say it real fast, you know, and maybe makes they want to hear it. But then they respond back with, I love you too. And then it's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. So, but somebody took the first step. And that's what Jesus did for us. He took the first step. He left heaven above and he came to the earth to live among us and then to die for us, to give his life as a sacrifice. Why? Because he loved us. He loved us first. And That's amazing. It's hard for us to even grasp, but he, he did that for us so that we would not have to pay the penalty of death and separation from God for our own sins, but we might be forgiven and we can live in heaven with Jesus Christ forever. There is a lot to love about Jesus. We could talk a long time about his incredible love for us, but understand that he loved us first and so we love in response. The other problem is the issue with what love is. The whole word love you know, we'd leave, we use love, uh, the word freely, for everything, from I love pizza. Last night, uh, our, our daughter-in-law, they're in from, uh, from Korea, and she made us some pizza, and I didn't know how much I liked pizza until last night, you know? I mean, this is real, this is not your hot and ready, you know, stuff. Uh, this is real good, and I, I'm like, man, I love this stuff, and I ate, showed, demonstrated that as well. But... Uh, you know, I love pizza. We, we talk about something broad like that. We also, you know, we also hear people talking about making love, right, which may not have anything at all to do with what love really is all about. So, so when the Bible talks about loving Jesus, it's pretty specific there. And what does it really mean? You know, the, the Greek language, which uh, we don't use a whole lot, but, but the Greek language is very descript, descriptive, and it has at least three words for love which makes it kind of hard to learn, but it also is very, very descriptive. And one of those loves, uh, words for love is the word eros, which is where we get our word erotic, right? Which is all about that sexual kind of love that is demonstrated uh, properly between a husband and wife. Another one of those words that, that we're, um, we understand a little bit is the word philea. And that's a brotherly type of love. It's a love that we have love for the world. When people say, you know, I just love the world, I love life, you know, I I have friends and I just love everybody. But, you know, that's a great thing, but it's not a very demanding kind of love because you don't really have to demonstrate that kind of love at all. You can just claim it. You know, I just love people, just feel warmly toward them. They're friends, you treat people nicely. Uh, and then it can include anybody that you know. But the problem with that kind of love is it doesn't last very long and it's not very well demonstrated. It can fade very quickly. For example, there's probably people in your life that you knew years ago that you would say you loved, you cared for them. And now you don't even know where they are. You might find them on Facebook, but other than that, you don't, you don't have any relationships. You can't say, hey, I love that person. That, that love is kind of temporary. It's kind of gone. Uh, you don't even know them very well now. But the real word that we want to focus on today for love is agape. It's agape kind of love. And this is a love that the Bible talks about most often when it talks about the kind of love that we're to have not only for Jesus but also for one another. And it's a kind of love that is considered to be unconditional. In fact, I love the description in the love chapter, very well named, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And here's the type of love we're talking about. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So if you look at that kind of love, you say, wow, that's a love that is totally selfless. I mean, there's nothing that's self-seeking in that kind of love. It is extremely giving and it's pure. And did you catch the last sentence in that statement that said, this love never fails. It never fails. It never goes away. Well, that's the kind of love that is best describing what love Jesus has for us. And it's a type of love that he says that we should, should demonstrate back to him as well. You know, in our world today, most of the idea of love, when you love someone, it's, it's really based on emotion. In other words, I love you as long as you're being lovable or as long as you're meeting my needs. But when you stop being lovable, I'm not sure I love you anymore. And that's sad, but that's kind of where our world is today. But a godly world is not, love is not based on emotions. It is based on the will. It's based on the heart. In other words, Jesus willed to love us. None of us would look very lovable to God. With our sin and with our hearts, we're not very lovable, but He willed to love us initially. He made the choice to love us, and He made the choice to leave heaven and come to the earth and die on a cross to show that love. He made a decision to love. You know, several times in the Bible, we are commanded to love, commanded to love God and love others. So if it is a command, then obviously it must be within our power to choose, It's not an emotion that we may or may not feel based on what the other person is doing at the time. Jesus said the greatest commandment of all was to love God. And so if it's a commandment, then it's something we have to choose to do. It's within our will, and it may be accompanied by feelings, but it's not dependent upon them. We choose to love. You know, 30-some years ago, I chose to love my wife. I chose to love her, and she chose to love me. Now, throughout that 30-some years, there have been times that both of us have not been overly lovable, but we've made a choice every day. We're going to love them, love each other in spite of whatever might be going on at the time, in spite of our emotions. You know, today people say, well, I fell out of love like it's a tree. You know, I fell out of it, and now I... I can't get back up there again, you know. I, I fell out of love. I just don't feel well toward those people anymore. Well, the reality is that's a choice. There may be some factors that create that, but it is a choice to love somebody, whether it's a spouse or whoever it might be. And, um, and, and we make a choice of how many people we're going to love. You know, we can't just love, can't love just one person. You know, I, I have four kids, and as they, each of them came along, uh, two by adoption, two by naturally, I chose to love them. I chose to love Him. It wasn't hard. It was very easy to do, even though times are not always lovable themselves. When I gave my life to Jesus, I chose to love Him. So it's a choice that that we determine to do. So the love that we're called to have for Christ is one that we make personally, and it's a selfless kind of love. But it's also a very demanding kind of love. You know, This is not a wishy-washy thing that you can give or take and jump in and jump out. It's a demanding love. Jesus said, here's a key verse, Mark chapter 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love him, in summary, with everything, your whole being. And I want to take a moment and break that down because I want to talk about the different facets of love and the ways that we are called to love Jesus, the parts of ourselves that we're called to love him with. First of all, he says, I want you to love Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your heart. Have you ever said to someone, I love you with all my heart. You know, that's a very warm thing to say, but, but, you know, most of us are not really honest about that because the heart is everything. We're saying I'm overwhelmed with love, every part of me, every emotion, every feeling, every thought, every intention, everything that I have, that is my heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about an organ. It's talking about every bit of us, our being, the essence of who we are. And so when Jesus said, love God with all your heart, because Jesus is God, that's what he wants from us. He wants us to love him in that way. Another word for that might be the word devotion. I want you to be devoted to me. I want to be your everything. I'm not going to share you with anybody at all. Love me with all of your heart. You know, I know today many of us and probably all of us would say we love Jesus. But could we actually say that we are devoted to him? devoted? Does, does he occupy a role that is that big, that important in our life? Is Jesus our first love? Is he the first love, the first thing that we think about in our life? Is he the primary love in our life? Now, now, don't feel like if you love Jesus, you can't love anybody else because our love for Jesus springs forth a love for other people, our, fa- our, our spouse, our family, It's not a selfish love in that way. It's a spreading love, but it has to begin and has to focus on Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of things in my life that pull me. And a lot of times there are things that I put, there are things that I put them above Jesus. There are times that I do that if I'm honest. There are times that I make choices that say, you know, I like to believe I love Jesus above everything and everybody, but sometimes I make choices, and sometimes I put myself above Christ. And not all of those things are wrong. You know, it's not, not all of them are sins, but some of them are just distractions that we that we choose. And my choices are not always what Jesus would have me to decide. Preoccupations, distractions, the things of this world that I would do before I would serve Jesus or before I would think about or love Jesus and some things that are totally against him. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said that in the last days that the love of many would grow cold, that our hearts would turn away because we're not fully devoted to him. And that's the number one thing that he says, I want you to love me with all of your heart. But he also said, I want you to love me with all of your soul, with all of your soul. You know the fact that we have a soul is what sets us apart from animals, right? It really is. In our world today, we kind of, kind of a preoccupation with animals, and I'm like, you know how I feel about animals, all right? Already, um, but um, you know, animals are not equal to humans. If nobody's ever told you that. I want to shatter your world. Animals aren't equal to humans because they don't have a soul. They can be lovable and love us and all these things, but they don't have a soul because the soul is what makes us like God. Soul is the spirit. The self-conscious life. See, our bodies, we are made of two things. We're made of flesh, the body, and we're made of soul or spirit. And throughout our life, they are combined, and they work together in in harmony. But we all know that at some point, they divide, right? We call that death. We call that whenever the body dies and the soul lives on forever, that is death. The soul is the spirit, the self-conscious life. One day, our lungs are going to stop breathing, our heart's going to stop beating, our mind's going to stop thinking and processing and sending impulses to the rest of the body, but our soul's going to be alive, maybe more alive than it's ever been because it's going to live into eternity. And really, the soul is life itself. It's the real person. When I think about somebody, I I usually visualize what they look like, the body that they, they animate. But in reality, the real person is the soul inside. The best illustration I ever heard, and, and I really like this because I like the visual, is of a hand in glove. You put on a pair of gloves, and that glove can do a lot of things. You know, it can be very uh, flexible and do almost everything if it's a very, you know, tight glove. But whenever you take the glove off, the glove is lifeless. It's, it has no power at all because the animation, the life is not in the glove. It's in the hand that occupies it. And that's where our life is. Our life is in the spirit that that occupies and animates the body. So whenever death comes, you just understand that's just a glove that's been discarded there. The spirit is alive. That's what gives us life. And that's where God wants our life to come from. God did not intend our relationship with him to be cold and dry and lifeless, but full of vitality and energy. And so as we love him with all of our soul, we become more like him. We become in harmony with him. His thoughts become our thoughts, his passions, our passions, his feelings, our feelings, his priorities, our priorities. Until one day, as we are on this journey toward him, until one day we are with him and we are one with him as our soul and spirit blends with him. That's what heaven's going to be like. When we see all that of its fulfillment and peace and joy and we are loving him with all of our soul thirdly he says i want you to love jesus with all of your mind with all of your mind you know our mind is our intellect it's our intelligence it's our thought life you know we're we're thinking we determine where our mind is set i don't know about you but i have a real problem with my mind wandering i can be in one place and my mind can be somewhere else you know But we determine where our mind is set. Here's what Paul says, Colossians 3 Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. There are a lot of things in life that compete for your attention and your thoughts. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, one time, and I have a hard time keeping my mind from wandering, is in prayer. If I'm not talking, praying out loud, it's so easy for my mind to just get, whoa, way over there. And it's like, where did that come from? And, you know, some of it's okay and some of it's wrong. it's horrible, you know, it, it's that, that your thoughts just wander. And what's saying that he loves to distract our mind, and then he distracts not only our mind, but our heart and our lives. And so, because we are so easily distracted, our minds are, are like that because of our humanness. We have to have some structure in our life. We have to be intentional to avoid this diversion and avoid these distractions. And that's why we need to really be careful to schedule ourselves some time to focus on the Word every day, where we put aside all the distractions that we can and center our mind to remind us of some truths that then in turn we need to keep on our mind throughout the day that we can ponder and we can think about. I'm so glad that Christianity is a thinking religion that it's not this mindless sort of thing. It's not a passive one. You don't check your brain at the door when you walk in and then pick it up when you walk out. You know, you, you bring your brain with you. I want you to think. I want you to reason these things. I want you to check me. I want you to know God's Word, and, and I want to be faithful in that. And so Jesus said, I want you to, I want you to take my, my Word by faith, but I also want you to love, him, love me with your mind that means that you digest and you think and you wrestle with and you assimilate truth into your life. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Love him with all of your mind, all of yourself. And then he said, love Jesus with all your strength. Love him with all of your strength. You know, this means that we pour energy into it. It's going to take some effort. You know, all of us got up this morning, set our clocks and got up. It took some effort to get here. Why? Because we want to know Jesus better. You got to put some energy, some strength into that. It'd be so easy just to lay there. A lot of people do, obviously, you know, but it takes some energy, you got to put something into it. You know, Christianity is a thoughtful religion, but it's not a passive one either, where we just sit around and think spiritual thoughts all the time. Wouldn't that be easy? You know, we just meditate all the time, you know. When I meditate, I go to sleep generally, but um, we don't just sit around and think spiritual thoughts. Our faith is active and moving. The Bible talks about producing, exerting effort and producing fruit and growing. Paul uses language about sports and putting forth a, a supreme effort and strength to win the race. In fact, the idea that, that we throw around, uh, it, it, the idea is that we throw everything we have into loving Him. We throw everything into that, that we put some walk in our talk. We don't just sit around and talk about it and think about it, that we actually do it our strength the problem many times is that we like to sit and talk about what we believe, and we don't invest any energy or strength into what we do, and that, because of that, we're very spiritually weak, we're out of shape. And that's hard for all of us, you know, because we're lazy. We're lazy in a lot of ways. You know, I try to be physically fit and stay busy and active and everything, but I went to my doctor a few weeks ago, and he said, Randy, I want you to spend, um, I want you to spend 150 minutes a week on the treadmill. And, I mean, that's like two and a half hours, you know, a week on the (laughs) treadmill. You know, and I've tried to do that, but it is really hard to sleep at that angle. You know, it's just hard. I don't know. Maybe that's not what he's talking about. But he said, I want you to love Jesus with everything. I want you to love with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, all that you have, everything that I have. You know what? When you start thinking of those things, you start, wow, this is getting complicated because now I've got a 4 Point sermon, I got to remember all the time. But you know, it's not meant to be complicated. It really isn't. Jesus simplifies it with a very simple statement that kind of sums it up in John 14. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. So, how do we show Jesus that we love him? We obey him. We just obey him. Now, to obey him, we have to know what he wants us to do, right? We have to be in the word, like we talked about, have those disciplines and, and those commitments, those habits. But but it's really pretty simple. When you think about it, it's really kind of how you want your child to show you that they love you, right? When your child is young and you tell them what you want them to do, you you like it when they give you a gift and when they sing your praise and everything, but if they don't obey you, it's pretty obvious that they don't love you like they should. And really, we were talking a few moments ago about our spouse, you know, it's pretty similar there We can say we love our spouse, but if we treat them badly or we ignore them or we don't do the things that they they ask us to do or we know they want us to do, then it's pretty obvious that we may not love them with everything. And the same thing is true with Jesus. You know, I know a lot of people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus. The majority of people in our country would say that. But most of those people, I would dare say, are not living that out. They are not showing their love for Jesus. They're not going anywhere in their relationship. It's easy to say, I love Jesus, but, but never do anything about it. And that's why part of our vision is to learn to love people Jesus more. And once we learn Jesus more, it is not only a step in our walk, but it's going to take us into the next step on our journey as well. You know, this particular truth as a church touches us on our key values of growing and giving. We have five values that we talk about, and we want to kind of demonstrate those in the series. But, but the two that this really touches on is growing. Well, the way we say it is that growing people change. Growing people change. People come from being un, an unbeliever, and they take the step, and they change, and it's a step of growth to being a believer, to longing to love Jesus more and more. And the other value this touches is that people can't outgive God, because when you love someone, you want to give. You want to give them your heart. You want to give them your service. You want to give them your, your money. You want to give them things. That's just natural. It's a natural response to love. And so that's why how these values fit in. This is the way that we hope to, to demonstrate our love for God and our love for Jesus is to grow and to give and to serve. Let's look a little bit further. John chapter 14, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. The one who is obedient and who shows they love Jesus will be loved by the Father, and by Jesus. He's going to love them more, and He's going to reveal Himself to us. Here's the incredible thing, is that God has a unique, personal, intimate, affectionate, caring, and committed love that He gives only to those who love His Son. I believe that. I believe that God blesses, you know, they're His family. You know, people like to say, we're all children of God. Well, you know, God made us all, and He wants us to be His children. But there is a special group of people, those who love Jesus, are truly the family of God. He's going to care for them and bless them. He's going to save them. That's some awesome promises. I want to love Him more, and I want to be a part of God's big family. So what does it mean to love Jesus? It means to obey Him. It means to treasure him above everything else, to desire him, to long for him, to enjoy him, to be satisfied in all that he is. And in turn, we receive this incredible gift from him. John chapter 14, one more time. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Man, I love that picture, don't you? Jesus said, if you love me and keep my word... My Father and I are going to come to you, and we're going to give you heaven on earth. Yes, we're preparing a dwelling for you, an eternal dwelling that that's going to be yours one day, but if you love me and keep my word right now, we will be that dwelling with you. We will be yours, and your home will be our home. And guys, that's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have peace in the present and eternal life in eternity. But to do that, we must first take that step on our journey to pass from death to life, from disbelief to belief. And then we must love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind, our strength. Today, that's what He's calling for, each of us. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, I would love to have the conversation with you. We don't have to do it all. Just just say, Randy, I want to talk this week. Just give me a card with your info on it. I'll, I'll be glad to give you a call would love to help you take that next step and see what that means for you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, which most of us claim to be, I want to challenge you this week to think of ways you can show your love to Him in deeper ways. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And uh, we know that we love you because we first experienced your love. You first loved us. So, God, we want to invite you into our life. God, we want to love you more. May that be our resolution that in all that I say and all that I do, God, I want to show my love. God, we worship you. And my prayer this morning is that everyone in this room is in a growing, moving relationship with Jesus. That will not only bring us into his presence, but it will glorify you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.